I invite you to be finding 1 Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 3. And just to let you know, uh, Miss Mary Palmore's daughter, Dana, passed away. Uh, and so that's why they are not here this morning. So if you'll keep her in uh, in your prayers. Uh, they're going through a little bit of a hard time. So if you will pray, pray for them. You know, with all the fighting and fussing and anger that we humans tend to show each other in our world today, it's easy to think that we, we see ourselves sometimes maybe in a small boat by ourselves in the middle of a storm trying to paddle upstream. Uh, and that's a difficult thing to do. And, and right in the middle of all this mess, we feel like we're alone. We feel like maybe nobody else is trying to do right. Nobody else is trying to do what the Lord wants them to do. And it becomes easy to get discouraged uh, and think that we're all alone in our spiritual warfare. Can I suggest to you that's one reason you ought to come to church regularly? And that's one reason why we meet together so that we can encourage each, encourage each other. And we find out that we're not all alone. Uh, Elijah at one time thought he was the only one left in Israel that's serving God. And he told God, God, I wish you would just go ahead and kill me. I'm, I'm the only one left serving you. And and God basically told Elijah, Elijah, quit feeling sorry for yourself. There's 7,000 people in Israel that haven't turned their hearts away from me. So can I encourage you to let you know that we're not alone? And as we resume our study of 1 Peter this morning, Peter reminds us in our text today that we are not alone. We have a Savior, we have a preacher, and we have a Lord who fully understands everything that we are going through. First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Peter here gives us an example of Jesus, how Jesus was mocked, how Jesus was rejected, how Jesus was crucified, and finally how Jesus was vindicated or made right and and we see through our example of Jesus in these verses that we are not alone. We see three pictures of Jesus in our text today. First, we see Jesus as Savior. 
And that's in verse 18. Jesus is our Savior. Verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This might just be, to me, one of the clearest examples and explanations of the, all of the gospel and all the scriptures. This verse tells us what the gospel is all about. This verse tells us what Jesus came to do. Notice each phrase here. First of all, it says that Christ also suffered. We have a Savior and we have a Lord who has been where we are. We have a Savior, we have a Lord that has suffered like we suffer. He's been rejected like we've sometimes been rejected. He's gone through hard times like we have gone through hard times. You know, if God had wanted a Savior, all he really, he could have just let Jesus come live here on earth, let him live a few days, let him be sinless, and knock him in the head with a rock and take him back home, right? God could have done that had he have chosen to. But he didn't. Have you ever thought why? The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who's been tempted just like we are. Whatever it is that we can face, can we remember this morning that Jesus Christ has been there? Whatever it is that we are going through, Jesus Christ has been there. Jesus came to earth. People rejected him. This is the God of the universe. And he's rejected by the priests and the religious folks. This is the God of the universe and his own family said he was a little bit crazy. This is the God of the universe that is spit on, ridiculed, lied against, crucified. Jesus Christ also suffered. And then it says he he suffered once for sins. Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the final uh, sacrificial lamb. Remember in Genesis 22 where Isaac and Abraham climbed up Mount Horeb and God had told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and, and Isaac and Abraham got there and, and Isaac said, Dad, I see the wood and and I see everything that we need for this sacrifice. The altar's there. And then Isaac says, where's the lamb? And remember, Abraham said, God will provide. Interestingly enough, God provided a ram for that sacrifice in Genesis 22. Where does, Jesus, where does God provide the lamb? In the death of Jesus. Isaac, or Abraham sacrificing Isaac is a picture of God sacrificing his son and providing that sacrificial lamb. And we haven't got there yet in our Bible reading, but when we get to Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and we see all those sacrifices that the Israelites had to offer and, and all the sacrifices that the priests had to offer, I read that and I get tired and and I think every time we read through that, how much stuff they had to do 
under the aren't you thankful Jesus came to be that final sacrifice? Jesus Christ, he died once. He doesn't have to die over and over and over again. He doesn't have to, like the Israelites had to give sacrifices over and over and over again. Jesus died once, and he died for all. He died for all of us. He didn't just die for a few. Now, not everybody's going to take advantage of that death. But the blood of Jesus Christ is capable and has the power to cleanse the whole world. And like the Andre Crouch song says, that blood will never lose its power. Amen? I said that blood will never lose its power. That's good. See, when, when I repeat myself, I'm, I'm looking for feedback. See, that's the blood of Jesus. He, he, Jesus is our Savior. He died once for all. He suffered. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the hope of the universe? Jesus Christ. Without Him, we have no hope. Without Him, we would be sunk. Without him, we would be desperate. Without him, we would be in the middle of the ocean. No boat. No life preserver. And no way back to shore. Jesus Christ is the hope of the universe. Without Jesus, we're in trouble because, y'all, we can't fix ourselves. People try. We live in a world of self-help. We live the, in a world of self-improvement. There's only so much self-help and self-improvement we can give ourselves. And we can be our best selves. That we can be under our own power. But can I say without Jesus that's not enough? Without Jesus our best self cannot stand before a holy God because without Jesus, our best self is still sinful. And sinful man cannot stand in front of a holy God. Christ also suffered once for all sins, the just for the unjust, or the righteous for the unrighteous. I call that the great exchange or the great substitute. Jesus Christ the just became unjust. Jesus Christ the righteous became unrighteous on the cross. He took our sins. He took our unrighteousness to his cross and he gave us his justice. And he gave us righteousness. Does that hardly seem fair? You know, everybody today talks about justice and fairness. The most unjust thing ever was happened to Jesus. He's the only sinless man that ever did. And he got, lived and he got to die for us unjust folks. And why did he do it, according to this verse? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were separated from God. 
Jesus gives us both a relationship with God and a fellowship with God. And you know what? If that's all there was, that would be enough. But you know what else Jesus and the death of Jesus allows for us? It allows us to be adopted into God's family. Y'all, because of Jesus, we are the king's kids. Amen? Amen. <laughs> because of Jesus, we don't have to use that word, Father, although God is our Father. We can go right into the throne room and say, Daddy, can I tell you about my day? One of the things I used to really enjoy is when I'd come home from work, Leander would come running and said, Daddy, I'm glad to see you. She'd throw her arms around my neck. You know, we can do that to God. And I just believe that when we do that to God, God gets just as big a thrill as we get when our kids put their arms around our neck. Amen? Amen. We are in the family of God. We should never get over that. We should never take that for granted. Every day when we wake up, we ought to say, thank you, God, for waking me up. Thank you, God, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me into your family. Jesus Christ is our Savior. We're not alone. Can I tell you that if all you had was Jesus, that's all you'd need? Everything else is just gravy. Everything else is just extra. We've got all we need in Jesus Christ. We don't have to go anywhere else to find our identity. We are all we need to be. And we can be all God wants us to be in Christ. Outside of Christ, we'll never be what God wants us to be. People are trying to find their identity in so many different ways. But the only way that brings lasting fulfillment is to find your identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, your Savior. Verse 18. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. The death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ was vindicated or proven right by the resurrection. The reason we know that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice is the fact that Jesus rose on that third day. If Jesus was still in the grave, that would have been God sending a message saying, that's not enough. Man, you're going to have to do something else. Jesus' sacrifice helps, but it's not enough. The fact that Jesus lives again tells us we can live again. Because Jesus Christ lives again, God says that sacrifice is enough. God, Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins, and God says the price is paid. The debt is canceled. Andy Plank, you are just. You are righteous. Not in your actions or because of your actions, but because of Jesus. When God looks at me, when God looks at you as Christ followers, God doesn't see our sins. He sees the blood of Jesus. And we know that because of the resurrection. The linchpin of the gospel message is the resurrection. 
The crucified Savior was critical. But without the resurrection, without the resurrection, Jesus Christ will be just another human that died, just like the rest of us. Yes, the resurrection showed that Jesus conquered death. Yes, the resurrection shows it because Jesus lives again weekend. But ultimately, the death of Je or the resurrection of Jesus shows that God was pleased. God was satisfied. And now God took Jesus back to heaven. Where? To sit on his right hand. First came the, came the suffering. And then came the glory. We humans want to do that backwards. We like to glory and we'd soon do without the suffering. I told him in Sunday school this morning, I tried on three pairs of pants this morning before I got one that fit. That's the, uh, the and as much as I like to blame it on the uh, refrigerator or the dryer, I think Marie's gotten a new fabric softener that's causing my <laughs> pants to draw. The fact is, I need to go on a diet. But see, I want to lose the weight and not do the work, right? Because I have this side effect. Every diet I've ever gone on, it gives me a side effect. It makes me hungry. You see, we want to be glorified but we don't want to go through the suffering part. Someone put on my Facebook, it was a 6K race for folks that like instant gratification. And a guy says, ready, set, go get your t-shirts. And that's the way we want life. We don't want to have to run the race. We don't want to have to say no to the appetite. We don't want to go to the gym and work out. We don't want to walk. We don't want to jog. We don't want the difficult. We just want the good stuff. Can I tell you before the glory comes the suffering? Jesus suffered and then he was glorified. And that same spirit, notice what it says in verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh, he was made alive by the Spirit. This phrase is a segue between verses 18 and 19. Jesus died in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. And this same Spirit did something. And that leads us to two of the most difficult passages. Not only in 1 Peter, but I think in the New Testament to try to figure out exactly what it is Peter is trying to say. It's not difficult in the language. It's difficult in the application of verses eighteen and or verses 19 and 20. Uh, we read those. It says, By the Spirit, by whom also he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few... That is, eight souls were saved through the water. Now, there's some things in this passage that are pretty easy to understand. We know Jesus preached. And we know that the recipients were living in the days of Noah. But exactly when did this happen and where did this happen and how did this happen? 
is a matter of some de debate. There's probably five or six different interpretations. I'm going to give you three of the most popular and uh, most all the others fall into one of these categories. Uh, but the first one says that between Jesus' death and his resurrection, Jesus' spirit went to hell, which is the realm of the dead, and preached to spirits or souls who were living in the days of Noah, as well as other spirits or souls who died before the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in order to offer them a second chance at salvation. In other words, Jesus, between his death and his resurrection, went to the realm of the dead, and he preached to those Old Testament souls, specifically those that lived in the days of Noah, it gave them a second chance. Of the three possible interpretations, I think this one's the least likely because of this verse. In Hebrews chapter 9, 27, the writer of uh, Hebrews says, it's appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Uh, why would God give people in the days of Noah who died an opportunity to be saved after they died and he doesn't give the rest of the people. Now I know God in his sovereignty can do whatever God wants to. But to me that is the least likely of the three interpretations. The second interpretation takes a verse in Jude 6. And, and applies it here to 1 Peter. And says that between his death and resurrection. Jesus' spirit went to where the fallen angels are being kept. Jude 6 says the fallen angels are kept in prison until a time in which they're going to be judged. And this interpretation says that between Jesus' death and his resurrection, Jesus' Jesus's spirit went to these fallen angels and said, See, I've got victory. See, I live. See, I'm Lord. He proclaimed a message of victory. I confess this is the interpretation I used to hold. Uh, we had a while back, uh, somebody asked me, one of our a flock asked about this verse, and I did a sermon on it, and after wrestling through different scriptures, that's the interpretation I came up with. I confess I've changed my mind. And I'm also going to say that I've got a right to change my mind again if I wrestle through these verses again. But here's the third interpretation. It's the one that... I think best fits this context. Here's the main purpose of these verses. In verse 20, the main phrase of this verse is the divine long-suffering of God. God, somewhere along the line, was patient and long-suffering. That's the main crux of this verse, these verses. And there, there's a phrase before this verse and a phrase after this verse, or after this phrase, I think it helps us. Verse 20. Whoever he's preaching to, in times past, they were disobedient. So we know that it's been in the times past. When once the divine long-suffering, that, that's the patience of God, well, when did that take place? In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared. So what's Peter saying? Peter's saying that at some point back in time, God was patient with some people. 
Who was he patient with? Well, he was patient to those that lived of old, specifically at the time when Noah was building the ark. So, when we look at this, in these verses, I believe that Peter is teaching his readers and us that the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the same Spirit that made Jesus alive, that's what it says at the end of verse 18, right? It says, the Spirit raised Jesus. By this same Spirit, I believe Jesus went, the Spirit of Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient, which once the divine suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. I believe the Spirit of Christ preached through Noah to those people that were living in the days of the flood. Now let me tell you why I think this best fits. I use the word, and if you hear me preach very long, you'll hear me use the word context, right? That you got you can't just take a verse out of its context to make it make you believe whatever you want it to believe. Uh, Adrian Rogers used to say that a text without context is just a pretext to a proof text. And, and that's the truth. If you don't put a phrase in context, this is why a lot of things on Facebook and Twitter are so bad. Because you don't get context. I think it best suits the, what's Peter talking about if we use the big picture? He's talking about suffering and putting up with, uh, putting up with the struggles that happen in our life. And he's giving an example of who? Jesus, right? That's who he's just talked about. So I think it best fits this context. Then Peter gives an example of Noah who builds an ark and he suffers and faces ridicule, and he's rejected and ultimately vindicated in the days of the ark. And then Peter continues to use Noah and the ark when he gives a picture of baptism, right? That same picture is used going on. So when we look at it in context, I think this interpretation fits best. And then there's a phrase in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. This is what convinced me. The context was pretty strong. But look what Peter says in Peter 1.11. And we'll go back to verse 9 once again for context. 1 Peter 1 verse 9. Peter's talking about the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that will come to you, searching what? Or what manner of time, watch this phrase, the what? The Spirit of Christ who was in them, in who? The prophets, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. What did the Spirit of Christ show these prophets? Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Who preached this message? The prophets. Where did the prophets get their information? The Spirit of Christ. Where was the Spirit of Christ? The Spirit of Christ was living through them. 
and was speaking through them. Does that make sense? So I think the same thing happened with Noah. The Spirit of Christ was preaching with Noah. The Spirit came on Noah. And for 120 years, Noah gave a message. A flood's coming. For 120 years, y'all better get right with God. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And oh, Noah. Could you imagine what the kids thought when they walked by Noah's house on the way to school every day and there he is out there building that old boat? Could you imagine the kids laughing at old Noah? Yeah, y'all know he, he's building a boat. What's a flood? What's that? It hadn't happened yet for 120 years. Y'all, I can't stay on a diet for 120 minutes. Noah's preaching for 120 years. He's being rejected. He's suffering. He's being ridiculed. He's being mocked. Until it started raining. And then I wonder how smart Noah got. Amen? When the water got up to their ankles, and the water got up to the knees and the waist and the chest. Could you imagine them knocking on that door? Noah couldn't have opened the doors if he wanted to because if you go back and read Genesis, God sealed it. They couldn't get out. They couldn't open that door. It was too late. I think that fits that context. We see Jesus as Savior in verse 18. We see Jesus as preacher in verses 19 and 20. And oh, by the way, Jesus is still preaching today through his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ. This verse doesn't say Jesus did anything between his death and his resurrection. That's taking some other verses. And see what I said a minute ago about having a proof text? We got to keep context. Context is important. So that's why, I, now I say, I don't, and those folks that hold all those other positions, that's fine. That's not a salvation issue. But I do think we ought to stay as true to the text as we do and can. And I think that does that. But then we see in the end of verse 20, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Noah's vindication. Just as Jesus was vindicated by the resurrection, by vindicated I mean proven right. Just as Jesus was proven right by the resurrection, Noah was proven right by the flood and the ark. Did you know that the ark is a type of Christ? Most anything we look at of significance in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. There are six ways at least the ark is a type of Christ. Number one, just as the ark was graciously provided by God for sinners, so is salvation in Christ graciously provided by God for sinners. Why was it Noah and Noah's family killed in the flood? Because by God's grace, God chose to let them live. Why are we? Why are we not going to die and go to hell? That's what we deserve. I don't want to speak for you. It's what I deserve. But by God's grace, God saves me. God's grace was there in the ark. God's grace was there in the days of Noah. 
God's grace is alive and well today. Number two, just as the ark was planned by God, salvation in Christ was planned by God. Scripture tells us before the foundation of the world, God already had the plan of salvation figured out in his mind. God in his sovereignty knew that man was going to mess up and need a savior. And God planned the way. God planned the ark. He didn't leave it to Noah to build just any ark. God says, you're going to build my ark. It's going to be this long. It's going to be this high. It's going to have this many floors, this many doors. God even went so far as to say, this is the kind of wood that you're going to use to build the ark. God provided and planned the ark. God provided and planned Jesus Christ. Number three, just as the ark was a place of safety, so is Jesus Christ a place of safety. Can I encourage you today, if it starts raining on you, just as Noah and his family got in the ark, when it starts raining on you today, can I encourage you to go cover yourselves under the wings of Jesus Christ? Let him put his arms around you and protect you. Let him take care of you. Jesus Christ is a place of safety. Jesus Christ is a place you can go. Just as Noah and his family had to come into the ark for their safety, so must we come into Jesus Christ for our safety. There was no safety outside the, outside the ark. There was no salvation outside the ark. Today there's no salvation outside of Jesus. Jesus Christ is not a way. Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I'm convinced the reason God sealed the door is because when Noah and his family heard those people dying outside the ark, they would have opened that door up, but when they did, that water would have God sealed that door so that they wouldn't come in. Because that ark that God had planned was the only way. God gave them 120 years. But judgment day came. A lot of folks today like to say that, I wish I could say as a preacher, there's a lot of ways. Because I've known an awful lot of good people. that are going to die and go to hell because they haven't trusted in God's way of salvation. Just as the call to come into the ark was a limited time offer, so was God's call to come to his son a limited time offer. They had 120 years, but then judgment. Ever since Jesus died, Jesus gave his apostles a great commission. Go into all the world and teach the gospel to all people groups. We're to teach the only way to God is through Jesus. There's coming a judgment. There's coming a judgment for 2,000 years. Jesus hasn't come back. But y'all, one day, the Father's going to look at the Son and say, Son, it's time. And Jesus is going to come back. And that offer is going to be over. 
You notice when you get a coupon in the mail for Kroger or Goodyear or whatever, there's an expiration date on that coupon. Well, there's an expiration date on getting in the ark. <coughs> if you wanted to sign up for that cruise, you had to do it before the flood started. Amen? Amen? There's an expiration date on God's grace for people today. And that's when judgment. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, you see, he came the first time as a suffering Savior. He came as a little boy. He rolled on a colt. And he died a martyr's death. Very humble. Man's servant. And that's the picture that the world has of Jesus. But y'all, he's coming back. When he comes back, he's going to be coming back on a white horse, a war horse. And Jesus, the first time he came as Savior, this time he's coming back as Judge. And he's coming back as King. The first time he came, he came to die for everybody all over. When Jesus comes back a second time, he's coming back to take over. Amen? Amen. And then finally, just as the coming of the flood was unexpected, <clears throat> The second coming of Jesus is unexpected as well. We don't know when he's coming back. The only time I know for sure Jesus is not coming back is when somebody says he's coming back. The scripture says no man knows. Even Jesus doesn't know. So that's Jesus as Savior. Jesus as preacher. And then verse 22, very quickly, we see... Jesus as Lord. Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Jesus is reigning in heaven right now sitting at the right hand of God. He's got the glory. He is Lord. I've kind of made that the theme of my 2023 Jesus is Lord. Putting it on Facebook. Lord willing, every day this year, I'm going to put on there, Jesus is still Lord. And you know what? On January the 8th, 5862, if the earth still stands, Jesus will still be Lord. Amen. Because God made it that way. And we need to remember that. I want to get into verse, verse 21 about baptism. Uh, I just touched base very quick. I realize I skipped over that verse. I don't want to leave it alone. So give me about two minutes. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are some who use this verse as a proof text that back, water baptism saves us. Well, it says right there, baptism saves. So you don't believe the Bible if you don't believe that. I believe in context, right? We've said that all morning. Context or text without context is a proof text. And that's what these folks have done. They've taken this phrase and 
that verse and this verse and say, well, the Bible teaches, you've got to look at context. God has given the picture of Noah and the ark. And he says there's an antitype which saves us, baptism. And then they stop. You've got to read the rest of the verse. Notice the very next phrase. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. What is baptism about? Baptism isn't about the salvation. The water's not going to wash off anything. Baptism is simply a picture. It's an answer of our good conscience toward God. Does a Christian have, do you have to be baptized to be, to be saved? No. But a Christian has to be baptized because God's commanded it, right? Our conscience ought to tell us to be baptized. Water doesn't do anything. It's not the washing of flesh. Baptism is a picture. Baptism is a picture of how we die to our old self. And through the Holy Spirit, we're raised to walk in newness of life. Sometimes we need a picture. Imagine if you were trying to explain to someone who was blind, and they've been blind from birth, what the mountains look like, what Cade's Cove looks like. And you might say, well, there's a road going through it. Well, they've never seen a road. Well, there are these fields of grass. Well, what's grass? And then the mountains are behind. We can explain it to somebody who's seen, but you know what? What if that blind person for just a minute could open their eyes and see a picture? Wouldn't that, that make sense? Sometimes we need a picture to help us. Why do we think now when you buy something, they don't give you instructions anymore, they give you pictures? I think because half the people can't read. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. Sometimes we need a picture. That's what baptism is. Baptism is a picture to us. As This is what happens when we're saved. Titus 3 verse 5 makes it very plain. We are washed by the Spirit. That's what saves us. Water baptism doesn't save anybody. But water baptism is essential. I firmly believe baptism is more important than a lot of folks act like that it is. Because it's all over scripture. Especially in the book of Acts. So I didn't want to leave that verse out. I didn't want to get done and say, well, Brother Andy, you didn't talk about verse 21. Because uh, I know when I read commentaries and I have a hard time, usually I'll go to a commentary because I don't understand a particular verse and I need some help. And quite often the commentator skip that verse because he don't know the answer either. And so that aggravates me when I read. So I didn't want to skip verse 21. Number one, because it's in the text. But number two, that's something we deal with in our neighborhoods when we're teaching the gospel and someone says, well, baptism is essential. It says it right here. you got to read the whole thing. Bless your heart. You can't just read a little phrase and say, well, yep, here's what it is. got to read the whole verse. But as we wrap this up, Remember the pattern that we saw in Jesus and in Noah? First is the suffering. First is the ridiculing. First is the mocking. And then comes the glory. Philippians 2, we're not going to read it, verses 5 through 11. Paul tells us that Jesus left the throne rooms of heaven, humbled himself and became a human, died 
rose from the dead, and Jesus and God took him back to the Father, to him, giving him all authority. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who gave it to him? God. Jesus is Lord. Now, I don't know what all you're going through right now. You might be going through some hard times. Be praying for Miss Mary. She's going through hard times right now. We all go through difficult times. But can I remember can I remind you that you're not alone? You've got Jesus. He's the Savior. He's been where we are. He knows what it's like to suffer and have pain and and, and hurt. Go to Jesus for comfort. Go to Jesus for safety. Let's pray.